seeing conversion rates, but then correlating that with a time of day or a type of book, whatever it may be. It just tells a story that I, that really resonates with me and allows me to pivot and make changes in my business. Everyone says that value-based pricing is the be-all and end-all, that it lets you charge what you're worth. And that's true, but you probably never heard it talked about like this before. I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your operational capacity. Value-based pricing is a great way to boost profits and to keep your value separate from the hours you work. It's a key part of being able to profitably scale a service business and still stay as small as you want to. That's all true. But value-based pricing also makes your business more efficient. And a more efficient business is a more profitable business. Switching from charging by the hour to a value-based or flat rate model can dramatically revolutionize your workflow and make your business easier and way more efficient to run because it allows you to charge your clients upfront. When you charge your clients based on hours or time and materials, you can't charge them ahead of time because you don't know how much to charge. How many hours are you going to work? What materials are you going to use? There's no way to do it. You can charge a deposit upfront, sure, but that's not really the same as just being able to tell them how much it's going to cost and then just charge them. When you charge a flat rate for your services, either per project or per month, you and your client know how much it's going to cost, which means you can charge up front. And being able to charge up front is the whole point. That's the key to this whole idea here. So when you charge based on time and materials, there's a ton of stuff in your workflow that you have to figure out how to do efficiently. You have to have a system that allows you to track time and materials against your project. You have to get your whole team to accurately track time because if they forget, you make less money. You have to have a system to turn that information into an actual invoice. And then you have to define a process to create that invoice and send it to your client. Then you have to go and chase them for payment if they don't pay up. So not only do you have a whole bunch of steps in the process to figure out how to do efficiently, you also have to have someone to manage and administrate the process or depending on your volume, several someone's. And you need a software system that will let you track time and materials which isn't most project management systems. So in contrast, here's what the workflow looks like when you can charge up front. Take the payment, go do the work. That's it, that's the whole thing. This is one simple financial decision that can literally change the way you run your business. Most of the time, I'm not a big advocate of the whole, just make one decision and it'll change your life and revolutionize your business. But this decision honestly might. And all this month, we'll talk about what that transition looks like. We're going to talk about how value-based pricing can revolutionize your workflow and how taking payment upfront means better cash flow and never having to chase another client to pay. We'll talk about some software tools you can use to make onboarding clients and taking payments as seamless as possible. And we'll talk about how the choices you make about how to price your services and accept payments can actually impact the other types of software you use in your business. Today, we're kicking things off by talking to Dana Kay. She's a publicist and a brand manager and the founder of Kay Publicity, which is a boutique PR company. Dana made the transition from an hourly pricing model to a value-based one about nine years ago. And we'll talk about how the transition worked and how that change affected every area of her business operations. Hi, Dana, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, I'm excited to chat. So let's talk a little bit about what was going on in your business that kind of prompted you to make the switch uh, to flat rate value-based type pricing. So when I first started, this was all very new to me. There wasn't any you know, model. I hadn't worked in PR before. I hadn't worked in another agency before. So everything was very new. And so it started very Lucy Goosey, a friend of mine <laughs> was publishing her first book and she was going to hire an outside publicist. And as a, at the time I was a freelance writer and a book critic. And so I would be contacted by publicists constantly. And so I just was telling her, you know, make sure you have someone who follows up, make sure they don't send glitter bombs with the book or make sure they do. <laughs> and she just looked at me and she's like, well, why don't you just do it? And I thought, 
maybe I, yeah, maybe I should just do it. I think many entrepreneurs kind of fall into their business this way where they're helping people do something. And then finally someone's like, you could do this for other people. And so it was all very, we, we came up with a scope of the project. I was going to help her on very specific things. She was published by HarperCollins. So they were doing a bunch of stuff as well. And at the time I was like, you know, I'm just going to charge you by the hour for what I work. And it'll be at the time, $35 an hour. Nice. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I, it's, I shudder to think about it sometimes. And so it started off there and Jamie, her name is Jamie Frevoletti. Uh, she's a bestselling author now, thank goodness. And she, we were working together and people, other authors in the community were seeing what they were, what we were doing and they were looking and they were like, well, can maybe she do it for me too? Can she do this, this whole, this was 11 years ago. So I'll preface this. This was 11 years ago. Twitter was just starting out. Facebook had just opened to the public. Like this was a very different time. And so I was doing things that the publishers and most authors didn't know, didn't understand. And so the business grew really quickly. I had 30 clients in less than a year. Wow. Yeah. And with each client, I would charge a little bit more. So I went, my second client would be charged 45 an hour. My third client was 50 an hour. And I would just start incrementally increasing my rates. But as you can imagine, this was a lot of work, not just the time tracking, but the billing. And also the authors would be surprised if I did a bunch more, a bunch more things came in that their bill would go from a few hundred bucks to maybe up to a thousand dollars. And so the hourly wasn't feeling good to me and it wasn't feeling good to them. So I knew I was going to transition to a flat rate. I was going to transition to, I shouldn't say a flat rate, a package rate. And so I would create the campaign and I would create the price based on the scope of the campaign. And because I had been tracking my time, I did have that data. I will also Yeah, you had say- a lot of, especially with that big of a volume, you had a lot of information to help you set those rates, right? Yes. And I will say at the time, I don't know if this was my ignorance or maybe they just didn't exist at the time, but all my timekeeping was kept on timesheets that I would manually input into a spreadsheet every month. It never works. And so, yeah, I feel it was in my head. I was like, why was I doing that? And then now I realize, well, maybe, you know, 11 years ago, maybe that was- There may legitimately not have been technology to do that. I know. So- I had a lot of data and so I could kind of guess like, okay, this, this scope, this person I did these eight things for and that cost this much, so I'm gonna do that. And so the transition went fairly seamless. The tricky part was my evergreen long-term like legacy clients, right? So mm-hmm. our, the way our campaigns are structured, it's a six to seven month engagement. And that's based on the book launch, right? So if we're pitching media, monthly magazines need a six to seven month lead time. So like right now we Mm -hmm. are pitching for summer issues of magazines, which is bizarre because it's freezing here. And (laughs) so so that's how we operate is we operate six to seven months out. We start and then we finish up during launch at the end of launch month, because in theory, if we did our job, everything should be hitting. There shouldn't be anything more to do. Right. And so what was easy about some of the clients was that after their book launch was done, then when the next book came out, I can do that project proposal. But there was a number of clients I had who were on an hourly, just ongoing. And I eventually had to have a conversation with them that were, were transitioning to a retainer or in some of the cases, they were no longer the right fit for, right. and I basically said, this is what it would cost. And I don't think that that cost would benefit you. And so, so I did break up with a couple of clients, which was hard, especially because they were the first ones in the door. Yeah. But, but it's oh, hard to have the conversation where you're like, Hey, uh, you were paying me $35 an hour and now it's going to be 200. Right. <laughs> One well, also it's very, you know, I, one of our values and our core beliefs is not bankrupting our clients. So it's not in our best interest. We want them to sell enough books based on their investment with us that they can hire us again. And so if I don't believe that that $8,000 investment is going to result in 
revenue for the author exceeding that $8,000, then they're not the right fit. And so some of the authors were smaller presses or they hadn't had a book in a while or their books were going out of print or whatever it may be. And it just didn't make financial sense for them. And so that's yep. why we decided to break up. I mean, I think that's always a hard conversation, but it's just part of growing your business. I mean, that's, that's should be the natural evolution, I think. I think so. And I think that more business owners, not to get up on a soapbox, but I think more business owners should think about the financial investment of their clients and what makes sense for them. Because if you, you could do the best job, like if you're a branding agency, let's say, and you deliver beautiful branding, beautiful fonts, beautiful concepts, all these things, you do your job really well. But if that's not what your client needs, they actually need something else, then they're not necessarily going to keep coming back year after year because the thing you provided made such a huge impact in their business. Everything you're doing should make an impact, a positive impact for your clients. I love that. So let's talk about kind of the impacts of having made this change to a new style of pricing, a new style of really packaging your service. What kind of change or impact did you see after making the switch to particularly like your sales and your proposal process? How did that change how you were um, proposing to work with clients? Made it a lot easier. (laughs) (laughs) So because I was able to identify a pattern. So when we would take on, let's say a romance novelist who has three books a year, I would be able to template a proposal based on the previous romance client with obviously tailoring everything to meet the needs of that particular client. But I had a framework of how much it would cost. So when I talk to people, even before I get on a sales call, so I should briefly explain our sales process. We get five to 10 inquiries a week. I only take calls with about two to 3% of those people because we have a lot of stipulations of, you know, we do not offer full service campaigns for self-published authors. We have, we can have that pricing conversation before I even get on the call that as opposed to saying, well, it depends on how much we work and all those things. I can just say our campaigns run six to $10,000. Is that in your budget? And, and are you, they, go ahead. are you filtering these people based off, do you have like an application or when they contact you, this is something that you're just doing kind of organically. So it's on the website. But as you know, not everyone reads your website, your work with right. us page. And so in the work with us page, it'll say, I am a traditionally published author with a six to $10,000 budget. And you can click it and then it'll have a contact form. If it's saying I'm an indie author with a lower budget, but I'm game to do a lot of the work myself, it'll lead them to our membership site, which is kind of the DIY version. Okay. Um, if it says, I don't have a book yet, it'll say, that's okay, keep writing. You don't need a publicist yet. Um, and so, but however, people still contact through the contact form. And then I just have a couple of canned responses that I send. Gotcha. And so what's really great is I had had a number of instances where you know, they would ask on the phone, they would ask about pricing. And if I was charging hourly, I didn't know. I didn't know until I got into the scope until I could give them a broad range. And I would tell them, okay, this month, maybe, you know, the first month is less and then the launch month is more or whatever it may be. And so now I can have a very, an email conversation saying, this is the range. Is that doable? And if they say yes, then we can get on the call. And the what I've noticed, because I track our proposals, I track my calls and how many of those calls I give a proposal to and how many of those proposals um, like say yes. And I have a 95% close rate. Damn. But <laughs> it's because I feel- It's because you're filtering so early. Exactly. And, I'm in the, and if I do a proposal, there's a number of people that I'll get on the phone with and I like, but maybe their book, I start reading their book and it's not for me or it's- there's, it's problematic or whatever it may be. But once I'm at the proposal stage, I'm all in. And by the time the client knows I'm reading their book and they have to get accepted, they're all in. <laughs> I like that. And also just, I love the fact that you're like, oh, I look at my data and that's great. That, that just, that makes my data heart happy. I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I really love data. I love, so I'm a, I have, I'm a creative writing. I was a creative writing major. Like I love storytelling and my favorite piece of data is the story that it tells. So seeing conversion rates, but then correlating that with a time of day or a type of book or a whatever it may be. 
it makes me, it, it just tells a story that I, that re- really resonates with me and allows me to pivot and make changes in my business. No, I love that. That's, you know, that's what, what I try and do with my clients, usually starting on a financial side, but it's really all about like, what does the data that you're looking at, what you're, I, I, the whole, it tells a story part yeah. is the best way I have ever heard that described is that the data tells a story. Yeah. It makes and it, tax time it, a lot more fun because <laughs> then you get to relive like your T&E budget, right? You'd be like, oh, that was that wonderful conference I went to in New Orleans, or that was that great meal I had with our team. Uh, I always try to, because tax time, this isn't fun. We're, it's, we're recording this in January, so this is all high of mind for all of us. And yeah. yeah, it's not fun to look over expense reports and those sorts of things. But if you remember all the things that you did, uh, it's really, it makes it a lot more pleasant. And it's also a good indicator if you don't remember what those are for, that you probably shouldn't have spent it money. It wasn't worth spending the money. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. So you've packaged your pricing and you are using that information and the data that you have to filter out who you're actually talking to and what kind of proposals you're writing and using your historical information to help you figure out really what that pricing should be. Mm -hmm. So once somebody has signed with you, how how has that impacted your onboarding process, getting them on board and um, being able to kind of shorten that process? What does that look like now? Yeah, if we're talking specifically about how the correlation between pricing and the onboarding, I think one of the easiest way, ones is that we use Zapier. This was my project for 2019, automate all the things that can be automated, not Woo-hoo! just because it saves time, but because humans make errors. Computers tend to not. and so. I, one of the automations I created was that when someone fills out, they get a welcome email and when they fill out the intake form with their address, phone number, preferred headshot, that sort of thing, it triggers an email to my bookkeeper to send, to set them up as clients in QuickBooks and start building out their invoices. And so I know a lot of entrepreneurs hate talking about budgets and forecasting. I am one of them. I'm not, I'm very conservative. I don't like to count money I don't have. But when you have a flat rate, especially when you have a six month campaign, it's actually really easy to forecast because you have those invoices built out. You know what's coming in. (laughs) You know what's coming in and you know when clients are ending what you have the bandwidth for. So it's not, it not only looks lets me forecast financially, but it also gives me a sense of what our bandwidth is. So like if I see a huge drop in invoicing in May, I know that we have the capability to start projects in April and May because we have that free up time. And so- I think that's the main, in, the main impact on the onboarding process is being able to one trigger an automation, but then also be able to invoice out to create better budgets and forecasts. It also helps, I will say, I get paid maybe like 95%, maybe even 98% or pay before the 15th of the month. And it's because, and my, my invoices are due by the 15th. And it's because they know what they're what they're going to pay so yeah there's no there's no unpredictability with what's the bill going to be or when's it going to hit or any of those so it helps not only you forecast but them forecast exactly so i i i work with some contractors that bill hourly which is fine if that's what they want to do i've talked to them about maybe not but (laughs) but they do and it is as a client you know, if, if I am seeing a bill that's usually two or $3,000 and that month it's 5,000, they may not get paid as timely because I have to make sure some other money comes in and move things around and whatever it may be, as opposed to knowing that every month I'm paying 3K to a contractor, that makes it a little bit more seamless that I, that I can pay them a little bit quicker. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I, a lot of the times I think we think about our operations in our business in terms of how they affect us, but being more consistent about our process and how things are going to happen actually ends up in 
resulting in a better experience for our clients too. It's predictable for them. They know what's going to happen. We've set their expectations, whether that comes from, you know, invoicing and packaging or just consistent process like your onboarding email. Everybody gets the same information. It's there. It's the same and they get the same experience. So it allows you just a more consistent, better experience for clients, I think. Yes. And I, and speaking a little bit more to the client experience aspect and not bankrupting our clients, what this allows for is if we're able to keep our rates the same, as we get better, we get faster, which means our hourly rates increase. So I'm able to raise my hourly rate or the hourly rate of our client, or excuse me, of our contractors or whomever, our employees um, by getting better and not just raising our rates for the clients. So as I get better at my job, I work more efficiently and I work faster. So the value I'm delivering is still there. So I don't have to change the rate for our clients. I don't have to change that project fee, but I end up earning more money because I'm working in less time. And I think that's the biggest thing with the hourly aspect is that as you get better, you can raise your rates, but then that doesn't feel good to the client. Even if, even if your monthly, what you're actually invoicing remains about the same. Mm-hmm. So like an example. It's a pill to swallow. Yeah. If I, I mean, I, I'll use an example of my accountants and my, the top dog accountant bills at $350 an hour and like the associates, let's say bill at 80 to 200. And even though he only looks at it for like, even though the invoice is like 0.25 hours at that high rate, I still see that high rate. I'm like, ugh, that's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And, and so I think even just being able to say, this is my fee and then work on the back end to increase efficiency so that you can keep your pricing the same for your clients, but have more take-home pay. Absolutely. And it's something that you have control over. And I think the thought process, one of the reasons that switching your pricing is so important is it's really that beginning of the thought process that allows you to kind of productize your delivery all the way through. Mm -hmm. Um, That every piece of the process can then become essentially its own product or its own defined process that you can do over and over and over. And you can do that with hourly pricing, just not as easily. You know, you can still have a packaged delivery, but it makes the onboarding harder. It makes the invoicing harder. It makes the getting payments from people harder. Every piece of the pie is harder the further away you get from that. It's a, it's just a set thing. Yeah. I think you're right, Susan, because you, th- you touched on something that I think is so important is that going back to the experience with the client, it's that if they are paying for your value, like your, your de- what you're delivering, the, the, the flat rate or the project fee or whatever it is allows you to productize that versus paying for your labor. Yeah. And so I think that that also changes the mindset a bit. Whereas like they don't, our clients, if we're talking about PR campaigns, if it took us 10 minutes to get that Today Show appearance, they would spend $2,000. They don't care. Like, it doesn't matter how long it took me to get it. It's that I got it. Absolutely. That's what the value is. And so when we're thinking about, when we're thinking about the relationship between you and your clients, or if you have, are an agent, you know, if you're an agency owner and use contractors who bill hourly, it's also the relationship between you and your contractors. You're viewing that the hourly rates make you view it as you're paying for labor versus paying for the deliverable. And in my mind, I just want the end result. Like, I don't care how long it takes for the personal trainer to help me lose 20 pounds. I just want to lose the 20 pounds. Or yeah. I don't care how much the, the branding agency takes to deliver my beautiful website and logo and all those things. I just want a beautiful website and logo. There's value to that. And so if we start pricing on a flat rate or a project basis versus an hourly it becomes you're delivering some value. You're delivering a, an end product that is valuable versus just being a helping set of hands. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. And it also allows you to be more of an expert in your own process. Um, it allows you to go from that laborer to somebody who um, – delivers value purely from what's in your head, really. The fact that you have done this 
so many times and you know where the problems are going to come from and you can prevent those um, positions you just, it's just a different kind of business and a different kind of relationship with your clients. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So let's go, let's kind of circle back and talk about that invoicing process. So what did your invoicing process look like beforehand and what does it look like now? So before it was invoicing after the work has been completed, right? So after you work those hours, you then invoice for those hours and then you wait to get paid. In the meantime, you keep working on the next one. And so you're, you're kind of operating in the hole at any given time, right? As opposed to now, I invoice at the first of the month for, so I, let me back up. The, the project rate, let's say is six to 8,000 or six to $10,000, but I break that up over the course of the campaign. If someone wants to pay me all at once because it's helpful for their taxes, they're more than welcome to do that. But for the most part, most clients like to pay over the course of time. So additionally, rather than saying your January invoice, your February invoice, it's invoice payment one of seven mm. or two of seven. So there's been times where they would say, like there's one, there was one author who said, it seems like we're not doing that much this month. Do you still, do we still need this payment? And I said, yes, because mm. just because we finished all your stuff early doesn't mean that you now get Doesn't mean it, less. it's less for you. <laughs> um, and so, so also framing that mindset of they are making install, they're paying in installments versus yep. the monthly invoicing. That makes sense. That's interesting. That's not what I've, I've heard anybody do, but I like that aspect of, you know, a lot of the times when we're, you're, you're essentially, you're selling a package. You're not really selling a retainer. You're selling a package with installment, pay, with a payment plan. Correct. Really. And, and so there about, I would say five or six of our clients are on a monthly retainer, but as an ongoing, as an ongoing mm -hmm. client, they have many, many books. They have, um, ongoing speaking gigs, media opportunities, et cetera. But most of them are either six to seven month projects or for our publisher clients are usually one year projects. And so it's, it's like I said, it's not, it's a mindset shift of you're paying me to publicize, like for the publisher, let's say you are paying me to public, to publicize X amount of books. And this is what it costs. And it's invoice, you know, payment one of 12 any additional books is this much as a flat rate, whatever it may be, so that they're not like, so if they say, okay, well, we're going to fire you, let's say, um, it hasn't happened yet, but let's say they, <laughs> that's uh, always a possibility. It's always there in the back of your mind. You never know. Then I can say, okay, well, we've already worked on this amount of books in your contract. So this is what the final payout needs to be. No, I, I, I like that perspective. So are you having, how, how are your, actual payments set up? Are you having them um, on automated payments or they manually pay or they have a choice? How does that work? They manual for, this is, and I should also say, this is all for our full service clients. It's not for the DIY folks. Um, so the full service clients are all, they, they're invoiced through QuickBooks. They can pay online through QuickBooks. Almost everyone pays online through QuickBooks. Occasionally I'll see a rare check come through the mail, but for the most part, they're paying online. Okay. And then your DIY clients, I'm assuming, are actually like set up with a Straight. recurring system or... Exactly. Okay. So the membership site is hosted on Podia and we use Stripe to handle those monthly payments. So the beforehand, when you were creating these invoices from the time and materials that you had tracked, was somebody manually having to go into your spreadsheet and say, okay, here's here's the lines for this month and put them into, you know, create the invoice line by line. And if by someone, do you mean me? <laughs> you know, anyone. <laughs> yes. I would do okay. that every, at the end of every month, I would put on some hip hop, import all the spreadsheets <laughs> or import all the, like all the, I didn't have that many employees at the time I had, I think only one employee at the time. So she would turn in her timesheets. I would get mine and I would put in all the data in the spreadsheet and then I would generate the invoices manually in a Word document. Nice. I'm happy to say that this only took place for about three years. And then after <laughs> that, we got QuickBooks and we got 
you know, professional accounting systems. You know, when you when you start making six figures and the IRS is like a little bit more stickler about, hey, you need to track your stuff. You need to, <laughs> as I was like, oh, keeping a file for the receipts isn't sufficient. No, I need to no. actually have books. Um, so I think it was, I think it took me about three years to get QuickBooks, to get a professional invoicing system. And I did used to track the time in QuickBooks, but now that we use... When we started using Asana, and this was in, I want to say five, five years ago, we toggle is a timekeeping app that integrates with Asana. So I can go to my Asana task. There's a little red button to start. I love the little red button. It's my favorite. <laughs> and so, and so that can easily uh, track our, track our time. And because it's not related to what we're billing, I don't need it to integrate with QuickBooks. Yep. Absolutely. Okay, so that kind of leads into my next question. So based off of um, this change from your packaging and your pricing, did you end up switching any software systems or um, moving to something else based off of this change or something that precipitated from kind of the, your organizational changes? So we didn't change systems and tools because of the change in invoicing we just at the time got some tools like and got okay. some systems but i will say that the level of automation you're able to do is so much better and by having more data and more tools you're able to price your services better so Okay, let me like break down a little bit of nitty gritty. If this is too nitty gritty, you can let me know. I love the nitty gritty. <laughs> so, let, so let's say, so I, I look at, we have everyone in Toggle. Everyone is by client and by project. And I can see patterns like the local authors, we spend more time on them because they're local, they like to meet in person or we go to their local launch events or we give a little bit more like for example, one of our authors is doing a TV appearance on Monday here. And so our publicist is going with him to his appearance because it's good networking. It makes him feel taken care of. So now that I know local authors, we spend more time on them, I can increase my rates for that. So the, the tools that we use allow us to change the pricing for the package a little bit better. It also allows me to realize like when we need to just raise our rates overall. So if I'm looking at like with our QuickBooks system, I can look at P&L, uh, profit and loss data and see that, okay, this client is taking a loss if we factor in time. <laughs> if we factor in our labor, yep. our, we're actually getting a, taking a loss on this client, we need to raise our rates. Or across the board, our profit margins, like. I, I'm embarrassed at how low our profit margins had been in the past. Um, I think they were hovering around like three to 5% simply because we have this, again, going back to the labor mindset shift of, I'm just happy to get paid to work, right? <laughs> yep. Like no one thinks about profit. Like I, I remember telling my wife who is a CPA and a like VP at a big Fortune 500 <laughs> company saying, I was like, oh no, we don't need a profit margin. She's like, what? I was like, I'm just happy to get paid. Like I'm working to pay myself. And she's like, no, no, no that's, not, that's not how it works. Not how it works. And so I won't say that any, we got new systems or changed anything because of the pricing, but what it does is it allows us to use our systems and tools more effectively. And it allows us to pivot a little more easily. So I can say it, like I said, it's hard to say, okay, this hourly client, you're actually taking a loss because you're just getting paid for the hours you work and you're not accounting to any overhead or any other things. And so if you're saying I need to raise their rates from $50 an hour to $100 an hour, they're going to look at you and say you're crazy and probably leave you. But if you say, okay, I'm going to raise their project fee incrementally and I'm going to figure out how to create automations and work more efficiently to meet in the middle, it's a better, it's a better feeling for all of us. So for our goal to increase our profit margins and which we've been doing consistently every year is to not only raise rates, but also work more efficiently and think about things that 
we can template or automate that we had been doing manually in the past. That is perfectly succinct. And I love that explanation <laughs> of the impact. So how did your clients kind of end up feeling about the change? The ones that you had to have the conversation and either transition to a package or um, transition out, how did they feel about that change? So the great thing about most of our clients is they feel that we are indispensable. Like they, like I remember at the end of one of our author's campaigns, she was like, wait, are you leaving me? Like, and I said, <laughs> well, I'm not like leaving you permanently, but you need to write another book and then we'll come back. Um, you don't have anything for me to publicize right now. Correct. And, but there's also one of our authors identifies me as the left half of his brain. Like it's the, <laughs> he's like, that's my half of the brain. You talk to her. And so that we, we are really indispensable. So most of our clients, some of our clients naturally opted out or like they are not opted out, cycled out. So their mm -hmm. book campaign was over. We were done. Um, the, the retainer client, the ones who were ongoing, some of them we kept on a retainer, but a lot of, but if, because when we switch, they're like, well, that's fine. Whatever you charge is fine. Cause I value our relationship. And so it was actually fairly easy. I think the hardest part in my mind was actually our team. And at the time our team was very small, but even just my, me being the, the entire team, the mindset shift of going from hourly labor to value proposition took a solid two years for me to really get my head around that. So even though we were charging, like I would say things like, oh, we're under budget. Like we didn't, I would say things like, we didn't work as many hours on this client as we thought. We have some other hours to play with, right? Like mm. that's not the, the, the mindset shit. That's a, that's a big- That's not the point. <laughs> it's not the point. The point is, is we got better. We did things faster. And if we delivered what we said we were gonna deliver in less time, then we're just good. Like we're just yep. good. That's enough. That's something that I've been playing around with just mentally is how do you know when you've done enough? Mm -hmm. And you can just be, you can just be done. Like that was the point. That was your scope. You did the thing. Mm -hmm. You can be done and take all the extra profit that you have by being good at your job. Exactly. And if some, and then having the bandwidth, if something comes in, right? Like there's, it's media, stuff happens in the news all the time. Mm -hmm. So if something comes up in politics, in health, in dating and relationship advice, whatever it is that we're, have an author connected to it, now we have the bandwidth to pitch them versus saying, oh my gosh, we're so over budget already. How do we, can we possibly add one more thing? And so that was the big mindset shift of what if you deliver a good product, you're, you're not, they're not buying your hours, they're buying your results. And so that I think for me, it was less about the clients. The clients knew that. Again, the clients don't care how long it takes you to do anything. They just care that it gets done mm -hmm. and they just care that it's good. And so that was the, actually more of a mindset shift and a attitude shift for me versus the clients. That makes sense. So how, how did kind of the overall making this shift change how you felt about running your business, change how you managed what that looked like behind the scenes? What kind of impact did this have on you as the business owner? It had a dramatic impact. I think we going back to what I said about the forecasting made me feel a lot more confident in my earning trajectory every month. Like I could see, okay, this is going to be a light month. This is going to be a, a heavy month. I, I, I knew what I would be making at least for the next seven months and could predict fairly accurately what I would be taking home the rest of the year. And so I think that was a big shift for me. And that made, that makes us all feel better. We like, <laughs> as much as we, we go to entrepreneurship to have more control and we say like, oh, we're good with riding all these waves, but really we do like financial stability. I think most of us do. Oh yeah. And, and I think in the back of everybody's mind, there's the, what if it all goes to hell? <laughs> yes. But here's the thing. And this was my big, this was my big thing of why I started my business is that at the time journalism. So I was a freelance journalist and a book critic and newspapers, everything was changing. Like I saw the Chicago Tribune file for bankruptcy 
and I wrote for their competitor, the Sun-Times, and I was like, well, if that happened in the Tribune, Sun-Times probably isn't far, you know, that's going to happen. And I saw all the freelancers fighting for paychecks and all the journalists who got laid off. And it's been, ha- the layoffs have been happening in media really frequently. Like it seems like every week, some media conglomerate announces 200 people getting laid off. And so the idea of all my clients leaving doesn't scare me as much as having a job and then not having a job. And so I I think that if all my clients said, Dana, we're done with you, I have the confidence that, well, I got those clients somehow. <laughs> I can get some, get some new ones yep. uh, as opposed to having to start in the job market, which is so much out of your control. Absolutely. So before we kind of wrap up here, is there anything that you think we should talk about that we haven't yet? I think one of the things that we maybe, I don't know if you want to touch on is like this idea of pricing what you're worth. Have you heard this? Yes, this is so hard. Let's talk about that. Well, what do I'm curious, Susan, like, what do you think about this idea of telling people the price what they're worth? I think it's a loaded question (laughs) that ends like it ends up being so tightly tied to your own personal self worth um, that it makes it really difficult to actually do that, to see what your own value is um, from somebody else's perspective is just such a struggle. And I agree with it on, on one hand, I think, yeah, absolutely price what you're worth. You're, there is an intrinsic value to being more experienced or having a breadth of experience or, you know, when you've been doing something over and over or in the same industry for a long time, you are going to inherently deliver better value than somebody who started out yesterday um, mm-hmm. because you have that experience, but it's still loaded because I think there's an aspect, at least for me, I have a really hard time seeing my own value because stuff is really, I do things that are easy for me. Um, ah, that's interesting. You, you know what I mean? So like I do what I do is very easy to me. It seems very simple because it's just part of how my brain works and who I am. Um, and so it's hard for me to see that it's not easy for other people. You know, in my head, I can see a PNL like like nobody's business. I understand what it means. I can look at a PNL and see the data and see inherently like what that is telling me. I can see the story that it's telling me. That's but so it's hard funny. for me to understand that like other people don't see that. That's not how their brain works. I know. I think that's a really big struggle for all of us because you take for granted the magic that we bring for people. Yes. Like, I, and I learned this when I launched your breakout book is our DIY program where people can sign up to learn from me and learn from trainings and have an accountability partner and basically launch their campaigns themselves. And when I was in the, I, we did a beta group and I basically built the platform as a beta, like by the feedback of the beta members, because they wanted things that I took for granted that people like, I just thought you think they did. know, like they saw so much value in me delivering 20 ideas for your newsletter, which took me five minutes to create. It but didn't, it's so it, hard if you're starting. Yeah. And so I think that's a good point is like, we don't see our value because we think it's easy and it's just, oh, it takes me five minutes. Okay. I'll just charge you 10 bucks. Whereas if it takes someone else two hours, then that's a way bigger value to that. And I think that that's, I think that's what I think flipping, I think what you hit, what you touched on, I think is not necessarily charging what you're worth, but charging the value to your client. So if the value is, I would pay a thousand dollars to have someone book all my travel because I hate booking travel. That's what a travel agent does. Like, you know, it doesn't, uh, or an assistant or whomever, like, and to me, I'm like, I can book my own travel. That's so easy. But to my, my wife, who is actually downstairs on the phone with her admin trying to figure out a, a trip, and it's so stressful to her. And she would gladly pay somebody to do it because it would take her like 10 hours to figure out her bookings and whatever. And so I think that's a good point of thinking about, if we think about what we're worth, we just think about things that are so easy for us that they couldn't be worth anything versus the value it would be to somebody else. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, that's the real challenge when we're talking about value-based pricing is that what you're trying to do is price based off of the value that you deliver to your client. Like that's, that's the concept, but internally in our own heads, trying to figure out what the value to them is worth Mm -hmm. is so challenging and it's so wrapped up in being able to separate yourself from really your own intrinsic, like the stuff that's going on in your head about self-worth, but also recognizing that the stuff that you do is easy for you and that's why you do it. And that's the, that's why value-based pricing is going to make you more money because you can do your job better. um, But that that is so hard to translate to what is the value. Yes. And I think that what you're in some industries, depending on what types of services, you know, listeners provide, sometimes it's really easy. You know, I, I know a lot of financial coaches who will help or, or CFOs for hire. They can point to numbers. like you hired me for, for $10,000 and I just saved you 20. Like they can point to a really clear return on investment. For us, it's a little bit trickier, but you know, if we do a lot of work and the book sales are double what they were before they hired us, then it stands to reason that like our efforts resulted in, let's say 10,000 book sales, which is about $15,000, which more than pays for us. And so there is some correlation, but I also think that if we think about in terms of like hiring a coach or hiring a, like a life coach or a business coach or whomever it is, I think about the value to me, because I've hired people before, as how long would this take me to figure this thing out? Yes. <laughs> like how, and how much brain space is it freeing up to know that someone else is going to help me walk through this and shed light on something that would maybe take me, you know, a few hours to figure out myself and I wouldn't be fully confident that I got it right. And so I think if we think of all the service providers listening can think about the value to their clients, it, your pricing may change. Because if you're serving people who really need your services, I assume they're hiring you because you're good and they need you. And what is the value to them? Like if they are experts in their field, like if you're working with a CEO who earns you know seven figures a year, his billing is probably through the roof, probably a lot less than yours. And you helping him clarify his life goals, helping him with his marriage, helping him with his fitness goals, his nutrition goals, that's a lot of value to him because he doesn't have time to streamline his own process or figure it out himself. So thinking about in the brains of your clients versus what you find valuable, I think will help increase your pricing and feel better about your business. Yeah. And I also think there's an aspect that, um, I recognized in my own business this last year was really just the power of hiring somebody who that's, that's the thing that they do. Like that is what they are an expert at and how long would it take you to basically bootstrap yourself to that level versus just hiring somebody who that's what they do and they're going to be the best at it. And then all of a sudden you have somebody who is literally the best at that thing that you need them to do. And they're just, (laughs) doing it for you and how much further you can get so much faster. Agreed. And it's why I hired for our public, when we are building out our publicity team, it's why I work with contractors. I want to work with subject matter experts. I don't want to train. I have two full-time employees, but it required a lot of training. Like they've worked for me for Mm -hmm. five, no, six years. And one has worked for me for over a year. And it takes a lot of time to train. The one who's worked for me for a year is still, I feel like in the process of training. And so being able to hire a subject matter expert is definitely going to cost more hourly because they all bill hourly, Um, but but I'm going to, there's going to be a lot less back and forth. I can just let them run with a project. It's a lot easier for me and there's a lot more, a lot less oversight. Yes. I think that that makes, yeah, that makes a huge, for me as a client, that makes a huge impact. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a that is a great note to end on. So where can our listeners find you if they want to connect with you or learn more about what you do? So I chat about all things business and branding at Branding Outside the Box podcast, where you can subscribe and listen in wherever you're currently listening to this podcast. Awesome. 
Well, thank you so much for being here. This was great. This was a really fun conversation. Me too, Susan. Thank you for having me. Lots of agencies have whole operations staff to deal with that time and materials invoicing process. They hire consultants to help them set up software systems that are intended to streamline the process. And they have a whole team who's there specifically to get the time and materials turned into invoices and sent out to clients. There's so much wasted effort and resources. Those staff members could be doing literally anything else. Think of doing that every single month. The time that gets sucked into that and the money that gets wasted. And when you start thinking about recurring services or retainers, the level of efficiency just skyrockets. Instead of running through the whole system every month of tracking the time and creating the invoice and then sending the invoice and then waiting for payment, you know how much it's going to be and you can just skip that whole bit and send them the invoice up front. And that headache where you were worried about having to hire somebody to manage the process or to find a different project management system that can handle t tracking time and materials, it's just gone. The whole invoicing process is such a major part of any client-focused business. How you need to deal with getting paid has to be a consideration when you're figuring out how you're gonna manage clients and how you're gonna manage projects. It has to be a part of the onboarding because it shows up in every part of your business. So this is an area where making a choice to move away from time and materials and towards flat rate pricing can truly eliminate a huge chunk of your workflow. And if you're busy and overwhelmed and you want to grow, being able to just wholesale eliminate a big chunk of your workflow and never have to do it again frees up a whole hell of a lot of time and makes you way more profitable. Dana gave us a great overview of the impact of what can happen in your business when you think about the administrative cost of how you price your services. Next week, we're going to tackle the next part of the pricing and payments puzzle, how to collect payment from your clients. I'll talk to Kate Strathman from Wanderwell Consulting about how she approaches payments as part of the client relationship and how we're both too lazy to chase clients for payments and how we avoid doing just that. You might be pragmatic and level-headed about every other aspect of your business and still feel a panic when it comes to money stuff. Setting a price, collecting invoices, following up on overdue payments. Money can make even the most sensible founders feel off kilter. This month, we're talking about pricing and payments and demystifying some of the reasons that service businesses stall out because of money stuff. The way I look at it, the money stuff is just another way of looking at your systems. It's an opportunity to make choices that set your business up for growth. Instead of worrying about clients who don't pay on time or who haggle for a better deal, you can rest easy knowing your money stuff is handled through smart decision-making and reliable automation. And when your money stuff is handled, you can focus on running and growing the rest of the business. Money stuff is the first thing I look at when I'm your growth advisor. I'll work with you to examine your profit centers, to find processes that drive revenue, and create automations that fuel your cash flow. We'll figure out where money is falling through the cracks and make it easier to get paid well for the value you're creating. I'd love to talk with you about your money stuff and how we can get it handled. To get started, shoot me an email at susan at scalespark.co. And from there, we'll hop on the phone and see if you're a good fit for a custom growth blueprint. Again, reach out to susan at scalespark.co. I'd love to help you break through the ceiling. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode is edited by Marty Seafeld with production assistance by Kristen Runbeck. And our theme music is Feel So Fly by The Unders. <laughs> <laughs>